Let's stand together and let's turn in our Bibles this morning to the book of Isaiah chapter 9. As we're making our way there, on, normally on Sunday nights we go through the Bible, Genesis to Revelation, and uh, tonight with uh, the Christmas season I don't want to start a new book with so much coming and going, and so I'll, I'll be teaching from one of my favorite psalms this evening, 6 o'clock, each of you are invited. A single verse uh, this morning, Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for this time together in your word to worship you in song. You have given us so much to celebrate in life and uh, principally in the giving of your Son. And we pray that you would bless us this morning as we study your word and continue as we desire for the entirety of our pilgrimage to deepen our understanding and our appreciation of what you have done for us in Christ Jesus, in your Son. And we ask it in his name, in Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. The Sunday morning before uh, Christmas Day, we want to um, individually and as a church body just do something very, very simple. And that is to express our thanks uh, this morning uh, to God uh, for uh, an expression of our gratitude for how good He has been to us in providing us with the gift of a Savior, to provide us with uh, Jesus Himself, the gift of His Son. I think that uh, all of us that have raised children, one of the things that we try to teach them as they're growing up is to always write a thank you card uh, associated with any gift that they would receive and try to uh, instill within them that this is just uh, good manners to do something like that. And of course, one of the greatest threats to uh, any thank you note or any expression of gratitude is uh, the busyness of life. And uh, pretty soon it gets, uh, that task gets buried under all of the commotion and the coming and going and demands uh, of, of life. And, and thus it often gets put off until I uh, ultimately determine that I'm going to sit down and I'm going to write these thank you uh, notes as is appropriate. And I think the same thing is true of the Christmas season. It's a very, very busy season. It is for most of us one of the busiest seasons uh, of the year. We have all of the uh, regular demands of life that we deal with, and then this season brings extra demands upon our life. Wonderful, but they are demands uh, none uh, the less. And so, uh, Christmas, I think, so often can come and go uh, without really sitting down and thanking the Lord uh, for the gift of His Son, to do it in a deep way, to do it in an unhurried way, and uh, for giving us the gift of His Son. And that's what we want to do this morning as we partake of the Lord's Supper. I want to prime the pump a little bit in terms of thankfulness in our life from uh, this passage that we're looking at here, this single verse in Isaiah chapter 9. And as this verse, though it's in the Old Testament, 
is one of the greatest Christmas verses to be found in the entire Bible. Uh, not just merely the Old Testament, but in the entire Bible uh, itself. The description, the Holy Spirit's prophetic description uh, of Jesus. Now, <clears throat> surely uh, we recognize and we want to recognize that Jesus was born into the world supremely, preeminently, uh, to be the world's Savior, to be mankind's Savior. Uh, uh, nothing else quite uh, uh, approaches uh, that in terms of what He came into the world to do, to save us from our sins, to save us from the penalty of our sins past, the power of sin presently in our life, and then ultimately from the very presence of sin one day uh, in eternity. You might remember in the Christmas story, the angel testified to Joseph in Matthew chapter 1, while he, that is Joseph, thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Uh, the angel testified to the shepherds on the night of Jesus' birth. Uh, Luke chapter 2, for there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Later, John the Baptist himself would testify related to Jesus in John chapter 1 uh, as he declared of him, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. But as the Holy Spirit brings out in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, the blessings that Jesus brings into our lives as Christians goes way beyond uh, the gift of salvation, as wonderful uh, as uh, the, uh, the forgiveness of sins uh, is. You notice the Holy Spirit's description of Jesus through the prophet Isaiah uh, that He will be a child born. And so Jesus was. And here we have the description of the birth of the Messiah 740 years before Jesus was born into human history. And the Holy Spirit declares that He will be born into the world. And this emphasizes the humanity uh, of Jesus, that He's not going to come into the world as an angel. He will not come into the world as a full-grown uh, uh, mature man. He won't come into the world by way of uh, a flaming uh, chariot or by some other kind of dramatic means, but that he will come into the world as a baby. He will come into the world as a child. And I think that uh, uh, anybody that gives any kind of uh, thought to all of this, especially if we're new to the Bible, we might ask ourselves, why in the world did he need to be born? Why did he need to take on the form uh, of man? And uh, one answer to that question is, in order to die. Uh, Hebrews chapter 2, verse 9. But we see Jesus, who was made a little, <clears throat> excuse me, lower than the angels, for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that He, by the grace of God, might taste death for everyone. And so Jesus took on human flesh in order to experience uh, death. He took on human flesh for the purpose, the very purpose of dying, so that He could die for our sins. 
uh, as, uh, as God, as divine, he could not die. He needed to become a man in order to do so. And so our salvation required his incarnation because our salvation required his death, his burial, and his resurrection. Again in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14, Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself, speaking of Jesus, likewise shared in the same, that through death he might destroy him who has the power of death, that is the devil, and to release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Well, that's just a part of the picture as uh, I, uh, uh, the Holy Spirit continues through Isaiah. Notice next that he will be a son given, and so he was. And here the birth of Jesus is described from the vantage point of heaven. Yes, he is a child born, absolutely, but he's also a son given. And this speaks of his deity, that he was and is the very Son of God, that he is fully God and fully uh, man all at the same time. Now, many, many people are willing to accept Jesus as a good man, as a great teacher, as a great miracle worker, as a great moral example in human history, as a great prophet, and so forth. But they're not willing to accept his deity. They will not accept his claim to be divine. But here, again, the Holy Spirit tells us 740 years before he was born that he would be. Now, I don't know what God has to do uh, to give uh, people a heads up on the fact that when he comes into human history, he's going to be divine. I don't understand Jehovah Witnesses and many other like them that will not accept uh, his deity. He's done everything to prepare us for the fact that when Jesus came into human history, that he would be the Son of God, he would be uh, divine. And so Jesus' declaration of his deity is not a cause for doubting him as the Messiah and the Savior of the world, but it's a reason and a cause uh, for faith in our hearts. Again, someone might wonder, isn't it enough that I believe him to be a good person or to be uh, a moral example or to be a great uh, teacher? And the answer is simply no. Because if, he was, uh, uh, because if he was all of that, but only all of that, then our sin problem would remain unresolved. Because someone who is a good person, a great teacher, a great moral example, isn't qualified to provide mankind with the forgiveness of sins. It is because Jesus is divine that he is also sinless. And the sinlessness of Jesus is absolutely essential to our salvation because a sinner cannot be the savior of sinners. He would need a savior himself, just as a drowning man cannot save another drowning person. And it was Jesus' sinlessness that qualified him to be the perfect sacrifice for the forgiveness of our sins, to be what the Apostle Peter described him as, and that is the, uh, a lamb without blemish and without spot. If you take away his deity, you take away his sinlessness. 
And if you take away his sinlessness, you are left with a Savior who cannot save sinners. It is his deity that uniquely qualifies him to provide us with salvation. Notice further that the Holy Spirit declares, and the government will be upon his shoulder. That is, when he comes into the world, he will be a king. He will come into the world to establish a kingdom, the kingdom of God. You might remember that uh, Jesus' very first words of his public ministry, Matthew chapter 4, verse 17, from that time Jesus began to preach and to say, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. In other words, declaring to the world right at the outset that I've come into human history to to, uh, bring forth and to birth a new kingdom within human history, the kingdom of God. And you become a citizen of this kingdom by repenting of your sin and trusting in the gospel. You might remember as well in this very same vein on the morning of his crucifixion, Pilate had uh, an exchange with Jesus. And uh, Pilate said, as he entered the praetorium again, and he called Jesus and said to him, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus answered him, are you speaking of yourself about this, or did others tell you this concerning me? And Pilate answered, am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. Pilate therefore said to him, You are a king then. And Jesus answered, You rightly say that I am a king. For this cause I was born, and for this cause I have come into the world, that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. And presently, the kingdom of God is an invisible kingdom that is made visible by uh, the obedience of the uh, subjects within that kingdom, that is Christians, the obedience to uh, God's commandments. This spiritual kingdom is every bit as real as any other kingdom in human history or any other kingdom that exists in uh, the world uh, today that you can see with the naked eye. And ultimately, Jesus is going to establish a physical kingdom in this world. He'll do it during what is known as the millennial kingdom, the thousand-year reign of Christ on the earth after His second coming. And then the responsibility and the burden of rule is going to be lifted off of the shoulders of mankind, and it will be borne solely and wonderfully by Him. And just stop and look at the world that we uh, live in. Look at how much government exists in the world. Government on international level, national levels, every nation has them. Then you have government on state levels and county levels and city uh, uh, levels. And all of it testifying to how much government is required in order to produce some level of order and productivity and safety in the world. 
And all of this is a burden to mankind. And Isaiah describes it as such uh, here in the passage. But this has already been uh, accomplished. This lifting of, of this burden has been accomplished in the life of every Christian today. And it's because of His Lordship in our lives that He has lifted off of us the considerable burden of a self-governed life. And as our Lord, because we are citizens of His kingdom, He is willing to take the ultimate responsibility for the weightiness of all our needs. We belong to God. Uh, We are God's problem. We are God's responsibility. And Jesus is happy to take that place uh, in our lives. Jesus declared famously in Matthew chapter 11, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And what an invitation that is to you, to me, to all of mankind, all throughout uh, uh, history, in becoming our Lord, in making us citizens of His kingdom, what an immense weight has been lifted off of our shoulders and has been placed upon His own. And He has committed to the responsibility of carrying our burdens and indeed of carrying us. As Peter said, we're able to cast all of our cares upon Him with the knowledge that He really, really does care for us. He is willing to carry all of these things in our lives. You notice further that His name will be called Wonderful. And of course, He was and He is wonderful. And all that He ever spoke, and all that He ever did, and all that He has ever uh, done. Uh, John chapter 7, when the officers uh, of the chief priests who had been sent out uh, to arrest Jesus, when they returned, uh, the Pharisees and the chief priests said to them, "Uh, why have you not brought him? And the officers answered, no man ever spoke like this man. Matthew chapter uh, 15, all of the great multitudes came to him. Uh, having with them those that were lame and blind and dumb and maimed and many others, and cast them down at Jesus' feet, and He healed them, insomuch that the multitude wondered when they saw the dumb to speak, the maimed to be whole, the lame to walk, and the blind to see, and they glorified the God of Israel. Matthew chapter 7, Jesus closes uh, the entirety of His sermon uh, on the mount, and when He uh, ended it by uh, saying uh, that the people, the reaction of the people to the sermon, that the people were astonished at His teaching, for He taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. And Jesus was and Jesus is the embodiment of wonder in life. There is the wonder 
of His life. There is the wonder of His teaching. There is the wonder of His miracles. But there is also the wonder and the perfection of His virgin birth, of His sub, su, uh, substitutionary uh, death, of His triumphant resurrection, of His ascension into heaven, of His love for sinners, of His patience uh, with sinners, of His grace and of His truth the wonder of His treatment of all people, the wonder of all of His speaking, and then even the wonder of His silences as we see them in the Scriptures. Everything about Him is wonderful. Everything about Him is a cause for wonder and for admiration. And the interesting thing is that that word wonderful is in the singular. That is, there is no one or nothing in this world that compares to Him in this regard. He alone is the source of this kind of wonder in human history, and He is alone is the, the source of this kind of wonder in a human life. And because He is wonderful, He makes our lives wonderful. He fills them with wonder. And we stop and we think this morning about what our lives would be like without the sense of wonder that He brings into it. The wonder that we feel concerning Him even when we merely view His uh, creation. The heavens, the earth, all that is in it, all of the plant kingdom, all of the animal kingdom, and all of its diversity, all of its intricacy, all of its different colors. You marvel at it as you see it in a National Geographic or on a, a television uh, show. And to share a sunset uh, with Him, recognizing Him to be the source of it, to thank Him for it, is one of the great pleasures in life. It's a priceless pleasure in life. Someone has said that the worst moment for the atheist is when he's really thankful and has no one to thank. And that's the truth about it. And it describes perfectly a life that is devoid of any ultimate experience of wonder. And every life that is separated from Jesus Christ is devoid of Jesus Christ, is devoid of this wonder. There's no partaking of it. There is no experiencing of it. It is entire world that lies uh, outside of such a life. And his name further shall be called Counselor, and he is the perfect source of counsel and wisdom in the world. And it speaks of that word Counselor, one who speaks and urges certain directions of actions and thought in order that we might make safe and wise and sound decisions in life. And everybody needs a Counselor. Everybody needs someone to talk to. Every one of us in life hit things that are way beyond anything that we can handle or that all of the wisdom collectively of all of our friends and all of our family have any hope of putting any kind of a, of a dent in at all. 
And so we go to a counselor for perspective. We go to them for instruction, for comfort, for encouragement, for hope, and all of the ups and downs of life. And Jesus is just such a counselor in our lives. And as He counsels and directs our lives primarily through the Bible, but also through spiritual gifts and, and uh, by His uh, still small voice, and He provides us with all of the wisdom we need in order to safely navigate uh, the fallenness of this world. And He makes each and every one of our lives a testimony to the perfection of His wisdom as we live under the, the, uh, the weight and the authority uh, of His, His wisdom. And you just stop and think about, I do all of the time, and I thank the Lord for it, just stop and think about the advantage that this gives us in life, to have a counselor like this in our lives. And, uh, you know, when we're trying to pick out a counselor, we want to find a, find a counselor, <clears throat> excuse me, who specializes in the thing that we're having trouble with. And so you go to the phone book or you get references or whatever it might be. Here is someone that everyone can come to related to any problem within our life. He specializes in everything. And I speak about it every so often because it enters my mind. Imagine waking up every single morning and getting out of bed. And then I must now, under the weight of everything else in life, I must counsel myself. I must come to my own definitions of right and wrong and good and bad in every relationship in my life, in every circumstance uh, in, in, in my life. And the, and the weight of, of that uh, in life, and then uh, all of the decision by decision, trying to determine on the basis of situational ethics, what is right, what is wrong uh, here, as opposed to waking up every morning and having all of that settled for us and provided with a perfect wisdom for every conceivable situation that we could ever encounter in the course of a day or in the course of a lifetime. And the first person, of course, is going to collapse under the sheer weight of it the sheer responsibility of being their own counselor in life. And ultimately, every person will become a casualty uh, uh, of their own wisdom, while the Christian enters the day perfectly prepared by God's counsel and His wisdom, and thus able to enjoy life, able to live life with a confidence that no one else experiences in all of the world. And I, I, I've made plenty of wrong decisions in the course of my life, but in almost 42 years as a Christian, I've never known him to make one mistake or to give me one bad piece of counsel. Imagine the value of that in each and every one of our lives. And it's true of all of us. Think about having that kind of a counselor in our lives. And so we do. And he's free. And he's available day and night. 
His name will be called Mighty God. And again, we have the reinforcement of Jesus' deity, but it also communicates the fact that He is all-powerful. In other words, Jesus isn't just a wonderful uh, counselor, but He counsels us. He gives us His wisdom and His instruction, but then He gives us the power and the ability to live His instruction, to uh, live the life that He calls us uh, 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 to. And, and, uh, uh, and He possesses the power that's required uh, to keep all of His promises, and He gives that uh, to us. He's greater than any problem we'll ever face. He's our protector. He is invincible uh, in every battle in, in our lives. His might will have the final say in every circumstance in our lives. And He is this unfailing source of power uh, within our lives as Christians. And you stop and think about the confidence that that gives us in life, the confidence that we uniquely uh, possess in this world as Christians. His name, uh, the Holy Spirit declares further, uh, will be called Everlasting Father. This does not mean that Jesus, God the Son, is also God the Father. Everlasting Father here speaks of His relationship with us as Christians, as subjects uh, in His kingdom. It communicates that He is like a Father to His people. In other words, it communicates His love for us, that He has made us a part of His family, and, and, and we will be objects of His protection and His love for eternity. And think about how important love is to our lives, individually as, as human beings. Uh, what the world least needs uh, more is love, sweet love. As the old song uh, goes, we all recognize it to be true in, in our lives. But think about having someone who loves us and will never cease to love us in the relationship that we're engaged in. Think about the spiritual stability that that brings into our lives, the emotional stability, the mental stability that that brings into our lives to realize somebody loves me and that somebody is Jesus. And then he says uh, further that his name will be called uh, Prince of Peace. Jesus said of Himself in this regard, speaking to us as His disciples, John chapter 14, verse 27, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives to you, I give to you. Uh, let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. He not only offers us and provides to us peace, but he speaks of the quality of peace that he delivers uh, to us and makes a part of our lives. He said, my peace I give unto you. And you can read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John from one end to the other and find one situation and all of the chaos and all of, uh, of the demands and all of the wrong that was done to him uh, in the course of his life and ministry, and you'll never see him uh, uh, operating out of anything other than a supernatural peace. 
And he offers that to us, and he brings that into our lives as Christians. In John chapter 16, verse 33, again Jesus speaking in this vein, these things I've spoken unto you, that in me you might have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. So we don't need a peace in our lives when everything is going great in our lives and we just have uh, our own uh, lives are, are peaceful as a result, or we'd only know kind of fleeting moments of, of peace in life. We need a source for peace within our lives that is greater than everything that can rob us of our peace. Anything less than that cannot make the offer of peace or they're lying to us. They're a fraud. And Jesus is able to offer us this kind of peace because he's greater than anything and everything that would rob us of our peace in life. And how valuable is peace in a human life? And how, how good, how excellent can a life be without peace? without this quality of peace. And to, and to have all of the world, to have everything in it, so, so to speak, and not to enjoy any peace with it. And Jesus comes and He offers us peace with God. And then He provides to us the peace of God. And so Jesus brings a supernatural peace into our lives that we would never otherwise know apart from Him. And sometimes it's just to stop for a moment and remember who and what we were in in this realm before we became a Christian. And to compare what we were and and the, the absence of peace within our lives, the anxiety that marked our lives, the constant sense that all of life is bigger than me. And the more you think and the more active your mind is, uh, the more it sinks you because all of the world is greater than us. Anybody can look at the world and be in a constant state of anxiety and, 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 and not joy, enjoy any amount of peace because we recognize all of the multitude of things that could easily in a moment rob us of our, our, our peace because they're bigger than uh, our resources. And yet Jesus comes in and we think about the, in this alone, the quality of life that he has given us in this, regard, in this regard. And so this is who Jesus is. And this is what he came into the world uh, to be in this world and to be in each of our lives. He is fully man in order to die for our sins fully God in order to be the satisfying payment for our sins. He is an endless source of wonderful in our lives and in this fallen world. He is a, a limitless source of counsel and wisdom, a wisdom that we desperately need and that only He can provide. He is an unfailing source of power in our lives. He provides us and loves us with an inexhaustible love. And He will do so forever and ever. And He is the provider of a peace that only He can supply to us as the Son of God and as God the Son. 
Well, that's a single verse. And that covers a lot of territory. That's a lot to be thankful for. And so this morning, we want to give thanks to Him as we worship Him in song and as we partake uh, of the Lord's Supper this morning. To give thanks for Him certainly as our Savior related to sin, but to give thanks for how multifaceted and how multi-wondrous the Savior is to us. And to know that when we look at Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, we're not talking theoretically concerning any of us. These are all things that are a part of our daily portion and make us realize as they're put down in a list like this to realize how blessed we are and the quality of life that we enjoy, even the side of heaven, because of who He is and what He is, and because we have made Him our Savior and our Lord. And so this morning, we'll partake of the Lord's Supper. If you sit here this morning and you have never trusted in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Jesus is the reason for the season. Every year it becomes more important to remind the world of that. Uh, my wife went uh, shopping the other day in, at Target or something to buy some wrapping paper. Maybe it wasn't uh, Target. And couldn't find in the entire section anything that spoke of Christmas. It was just multi-purpose uh, wrapping paper. And, uh, and so the necessity of, of the reminder, you are a sinner. Your sin has separated you from a relationship with God. The single great thing that you have been created for. And God wants to have a relationship with you, and you need one with Him. And so He sent His Son into the world in order that he might die as the full and satisfying payment for your sins. And if you will just simply look to God right where you're seated right now and say, God, I believe I am a sinner. I've been less than perfect all of my life. And I believe that you're so holy uh, that, uh, that uh, my sin needs to be addressed in order for me to have a relationship with you. But I also believe that you loved me so much that you sent your son into the world in order to provide the forgiveness of my sins. And so I put my trust in your Savior today. Come into my life and become uh, the Lord of my life. And the Holy Spirit will cause you to be born again in a moment. The greatest miracle a person can, can ever experience. And if you do that, then feel free to partake of the Lord's Supper with us this morning. If you sit here and you're not yet a Christian, you say, I don't know if I want to do that just yet. That's fine. Uh, that's between you and the Lord. But just uh, uh, enjoy the service, enjoy the rest of the service, but don't partake of the Lord's Supper because it's for Christians. It is an acknowledgement of the price that was paid for the forgiveness of our sins. And I want you to partake of the Lord's Supper uh, for the first time uh, being, having been born again. And so we'll ask the worship team to come forward. We'll ask uh, the men to come forward to serve 
the Lord's Supper. And as the bread and the cup are passed, just hold on to it. I will come back up after the worship team leads us in a couple of worship songs. We'll pray uh, uh, related to the bread together and partake, and then we'll do likewise with the cup. Let's it's just the simple thing that we want to have happen today, just a time in the hecticness of life, and to just once again say, thank you, Father, for this Savior that you have brought into uh, the world and then into the messiness of my life.